And let's open our Bibles and go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17. And as you're turning there, I'm going to read two verses out of Luke chapter 4. Verse 25 and 26. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. When great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. First Kings 17, verse 8. The word of the Lord came unto him, <coughs> saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. That last sentence of verse 9, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. It's from that sentence we'll get our topic, sustained by a widow. So won't you help me sing this song of prayer? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living, I'll be a living sanctuary, sanctuary for you. You know, when you read the beginning of this chapter and you look at verse one, Elijah quickly is introduced to us. And there's not a lot of information about his background. We don't learn about what his vocation might have been beforehand. He's just simply introduced as the Tishbite of the region of Gilead. And he makes his appearance before Ahab, a king. Ahab, quite naturally, wasn't used to people in his face speaking things contrary to what a king would want to hear. But Elijah was a man that had a mouth that was an echo for what he heard. The voice of God spoke to him. And that's why he told him it wasn't going to rain again until I tell it to rain. And during that time of famine, I'm sure the economy was touched. Farmers were broken. The budgets weren't met. Think of the number of mothers and fathers that planted gardens and maybe lost whatever harvest they were looking to receive. And I don't doubt they prayed. They had a covenant with God. They understood the law of Moses. They prayed, but they had no idea that Elisha had spoken a word and God was honoring the word of that one prophet. He said, it's not going to rain until I tell it to rain. And immediately after that, the word of the Lord told him to go to a brook. And it was there that for a period of time, The ravens, unclean birds, 
brought bread and flesh twice a day until finally the brook dried up. And it's at that point that the transition began. God spoke again. When God speaks to you and he's dealing with your heart, it's usually only the first time. But then he'll speak again. Uh, You may say, I don't know that I've ever heard God's voice speak to me. You have. You just probably never really considered. Whether you were reading a scripture, reading a tract, hearing a radio program, or somebody was listening, uh, witnessing to you, somehow or another, the voice of the Spirit of God was calling you to be saved. You responded to that, if in fact you are a Christian. But once you got into the body of Christ, there have been a number of times where God has laid a burden on your heart or whispered something inwardly to you in order to lead you and guide you. The internal whisperings of God, you'll never get away from them. This is why the scripture says the Holy Spirit comes to convict us and bring conviction to us. If you say something wrong or you do something wrong, there's something inside you that lets you know you've done wrong. That's God talking to you. Well, in this instance, the brook was drying up. God was preserving Elijah at this brook. The meals were coming to him twice a day, but yet the very place where God had called him With the heat and everything else, the moisture evaporating, and yet this little lake is disappearing. And it's at this point in verse 9, God speaks to him and says, get up and go to Zarephath. Now, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people don't like to move when God says move. And sometimes we're stuck in a rut. We're stuck in the place where we are. We don't want to go with what God is saying or with what God is doing. But if you want the blessing of God, you've got to be willing to uproot yourself. Even if you've had great moments and testimonies and experiences at the brook. Some blessings that God gives you are only temporary. Some jobs that you have aren't meant to be eternal. You should know that they're temporary. God gives you a job in one place and you're to be there for a season. He gives you another and opens up a door in another location. You've got to be ready to rise up when God begins to speak to you. And he says, go to Zarephath. What is Zarephath? The place where God's going to preserve you in the future. But the only way you'll get there and experience the blessings, you've got to be willing to step out in faith. So as I've told you on a hundred occasions, on the other side of obedience, there's always a blessing. If you do what God has called you to do, you'll find a blessing there waiting for you. And verse 9 is clear. I've commanded, notice the tense, past tense. I've commanded a widow there to sustain you. He hasn't left the place where the brook has dried up. He's still in the place where the ravens are bringing him sustenance. But yet God has already prepared in the future, in his future, a widow woman who hasn't even met him yet. And this is exactly how God operates. When he's leading you and guiding you, he takes you into greater blessings. And you don't even realize how he's dealing with your heart and how he has set things up. In fact, when we think of the word provision, 
We need to know that means foresight, provision from Latin, which means God sees from the beginning beforehand. When we think of predestination or certain events that have been predetermined before you take that first step, that just simply means in some instances, God has fixed the ending before the beginning. Arise, Elijah. Go to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. Now, Jesus has already told us there were a lot of widows in Israel at this time. A lot of people had lost their spouses. A lot of grieving people. But Elijah was only commanded to go to this one. There are plenty of people in this world that are hurting. Plenty of people that are having difficulties. But God still knows how to single out the one individual that he wants to bless. The covenant is for everybody. But sometimes God does something exceptional for one particular purpose in order for his purpose to be magnified. So notice in verse 10, in obedience, he goes to the city. And when he comes to the gate, behold, there's a widow woman and he sees her and he says to her, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water. I don't know if he knew this woman. The text doesn't intimate that he did. It's likely she may have heard of him. But nevertheless, he comes upon this lady who essentially is poor and doesn't have anything. And he asks her for something. This is like God. Jesus was at Jacob's well. Asked a woman had been married several times. Shacking up with someone at this time. And he said, give me a little water. She said, how can you being a Jew ask me who's a Samaritan to give you anything? Now, verse 11 tells us that she was going in obedience and he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, this this man, Elijah, who has struck up this conversation with the lady, you've got to understand he is obeying God. The Lord has spoken to him about a widow He's now at the gate. He sees this lady. He's engaged in conversation, but it's obvious this lady doesn't have much. Listen to her own testimony in verse 12. As God lives, she's a believer. She acknowledges he exists, that he's reigning and ruling. She says, I don't have a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And notice what she's doing. I'm gathering sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. So here's the lady thinking about death. God has on his mind sustenance for the prophet. The prophet is coming in obedience to what God has said, but the circumstances of life for this lady have led her to envision nothing but death for her and her son. This isn't suicide. This is starvation. They're dying because they don't have anything to eat. Have you ever been that poor before? Have you ever had difficulties that were so great that you wondered whether or not you would even be able to take care of yourself? And yet God is using Elijah to enter into the life of this poor woman in order to bring blessings to her that she never expected. I'm sure she prayed. She believed in God. And yet the Bible says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. She never even believed a prophet could come to her house. 
And when you think of the blessings that have come to you, what really has God done for you? What stones has, has he overturned? What doors has he opened for you in the midst of your destitution? And when you look back over your life and think about your first initial steps in your beginnings in marriage or in adulthood when you didn't have a whole lot of things. Think of how God went out of his way to bless you, to help you, to minister to you. This woman here said, I've just got a little bit of meal or flour, a little bit of oil, and I'm going to die. But you do know that little becomes much when you put it in God's hands. Whatever you have, however small a portion you have, you put it in the hands of God. And don't look for death to come suddenly. Don't look for death to come at all. Don't allow your poverty to cause you to believe that in the midst of the famine and the difficulty that you cannot be taken care of. Right now, we have people who work at various elevators, and this is not going to be the best harvest for hundreds of farmers across this region. Hadn't been the kind of rain that's been needed. And the kind of rain that did start come, it came too late. There'll be plenty of people that won't even have a harvest at all. And they're wondering, how am I going to pay my bills this fall to the banker? What are we going to do? Because if God closes the heavens and there's no rain, every aspect of society is affected if it's based on agriculture. Here we have it. This Lady had no garden that was of any value. No one around her was doing well. But this one woman's house, God sends Elijah to in her poverty. <clears throat> you know, when, when my mother-in-law moved from Mississippi to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they were poor. They were poor. And somehow or another, she got Tiffany in a private school. The private schools cost a lot of money. And there were times, as they've told me, that they had nothing to eat at all. When I say nothing, I mean the kids in the private school, lunchtime, they would go to the cafeteria. They would purchase their food, Tiffany has told me how she didn't have any money at all. So she'd go to the library and pass the lunch hour time in the library reading while everybody else ate. It's not that her belly wasn't hungry. There's no food in the house and no money. Uh, she's told me how because her mom working to pay rent and take care of all of these things at some points, they didn't even have enough money to buy a stamp. Have you ever been that poor before? Well, in the midst of all of that, God still supplied their needs. He provided them with what they needed to keep body and soul together. Think of poverty. There are some people that, that, that honestly believe there, there's no end to this. How are we ever going to get on the other side of this lack? How are we going to get on the other side of this famine that we're facing? You will get on the other side of it because every famine is only for a season. That's it. It's only for a season. 
When my mom and dad divorced when I was a four-year-old boy, I can remember both my parents who were sinners. I can remember my mom holding me in the kitchen, sitting on a stool, me on her lap, my dad out in the driveway, and I could hear him yelling into the house, saying to my mom, you'll never keep this house without me. I can tell you one thing, she never lost it. She never lost it. God had to help her. I mean, after all, she's raising up a little boy that's going to be a preacher one day. God had to make sure that that things worked out well. But what I'm trying to encourage you to see is that this woman had her focus on death and on dying. She didn't see life for herself. She saw no future for her son. What do you see for your family? What do you see for yourself? If you walk with God, can you say like her, as the Lord God liveth? You should be able to say that. And if you believe that and know that God rules and reigns, then you also know that God controls not only the heavens and he controls the ravens. He can even control the people that come into your life. And sometimes God brings people into your life at a certain season for the right time. Yeah. Just when a brook over here dries up, just when the last raven comes and doesn't appear again. God brings a man or woman into your life in order to be an encouragement to you. Now, it's up to you whether or not you want to enjoy the people God brings into your life, because there are some people, unlike Elijah, who who won't take anything from somebody that's poor. This woman didn't have anything. She's ready to die. But yet Elijah said, what little bit you have in your house, go and fix it for me, because I'm telling you that that barrel is never going to run dry. That oil is not going to run out. But how many times have you felt bad and ashamed because somebody who was worse off than you wanted to give to you and bless you? You may be hindering them from receiving the blessing God wants them to have. Because the Bible does say it is more blessed to give than to receive. And even the poorest people on the planet have something to give. When you read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he tells the story of how these folks in Macedonia, out of their deep poverty, they gave. Somebody always has something to give. Yeah. There are people in this world that poor people that that are poor and poor people call them poor. But there are a lot of people in this world that aren't as poor as they think they are. Yeah, they, 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 they're not as poor as they think they are. We I, I've told you before, so some of us are wealthier than ancient kings and we just have never thought about it. We, we you, you may not have twenty dollars in the bank or twenty dollars in your wallet. But yet when you're too hot in your house, you walk over there to the to the wall or to the little machine and you hit a button and then cool air starts coming out. Solomon didn't have that. Solomon didn't have an air conditioner. Some of you walk over to the ice box and and if you're still a little bit too warm, then you go and get some ice. Solomon didn't have any ice. Oh, no. And then, of course, when it's time for you to do your laundry, you're not heading down to the river. You're not using homemade soap and using rocks and stones in order to cleanse your garments. No, you walk down to a machine and you got buttons on there to tell you small load, medium load, cold, hot, cool 
extra wrench and everything else. And then you put it in there and then you push the button and then it starts churning and agitating and taking care of all of that. And then when people call you on the phone and say, honey, what you been doing? Say, oh, my goodness, I've been doing laundry all day long. You've been putting it in the machine all day long is what you've been doing. See, some of us are wealthier than than ancient kings. That means we're blessed. So in consideration, then, of this lady who doesn't have anything, but yet takes what she has and gives it to the man of God. Think of what you have and give it to the Lord. Jesus told his disciples There are thousands of people out here. They've been with me for days. They're hungry. I don't want them to faint as they're walking home. So he says to the disciples, give them something to eat. They looked at Jesus as if he had asked them to walk on the moon. How in the world are we going to feed all these hungry people? There's not a market in Jerusalem that has enough food to feed all these people right now. And we don't have anything except what this little boy has. And so Jesus says, bring what he has to me. They brought that lad's lunch to him. And Jesus, without a table in front of them, without a curtain in front of them, without a hat to pull a rabbit out of. But in front of everybody's eyes, Jesus right there takes the little bit, offers it up to God, blesses it, and then distributes it in front of everybody. One by one, the disciples take it. And go to the first row, go to the second row, go to the third row. And everybody keeps coming back to Jesus for supply and he never runs out. There are even extra baskets full when he's done. So don't you understand that you can never exhaust the supply of God? And that you really should stop thinking that when you pray, what you're praying for is too big. And that why should I think that God would care about a little person like me down here in Thayer County or whatever county I'm living in, thinking that God's not going to be interested in me? I'm telling you, God's interested in you just like he is in this widow woman in this text. And he hadn't forgotten about you. He's not going to forget about you. And Jesus specifically quotes this story to let us know that our heavenly father has his eyes on us. He's paying attention to you. So notice what Elijah says in verse 14. The barrel shall not waste. The cruise of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain. That means throughout the rest of the famine, whatever was going on in everybody else's house, there was blessing in this house. But then one day when the raindrops begin to fall from the sky, then it ended. Because some blessings are temporary. God gave the children of Israel manna for 40 years, but when they stepped into the promised land, the manna ceased in the land. But we get under the impression that if God starts doing something for us one way, he has to continue doing that way all the time. He doesn't. He can open up other doors for you. You have to be willing to receive what comes from his hand, from whatever hands bring it to you. And don't ever be ashamed when you're blessed by someone that loves you. My mom used to send me down in the basement to our pantry, and she always had a lot of canned goods down there. And on our street, we had a family where the father was significantly older than his wife. And 
They had kids, though, my age and my older brother's age. And he ended up having a heart attack and dying. Well, she'd been a homemaker. She hadn't worked in 20 some odd years or so. And, and I'll never forget, they had that funeral and I was over there at that house. And I mean, it was just a very somber feeling, as you can imagine. And, and my mom said to me afterwards, she was asking me about what's going on over there. And I told her, she said, look, go down in the basement. Fill up some brown paper bags with some canned goods, and I want you to carry those bags over there to Miss Hamilton. And so I did. I went down there. We put all this stuff in there, things that maybe you probably wouldn't even want to eat. But when you're hungry, you'll be glad for whatever somebody gives you. And I carried those across the street, and Miss Hamilton just started crying. She was so grateful. Her, her kids, I mean, you'd have thought it was Christmas. I mean, they were excited. Here's food coming in the house and they were happy. Imagine if they would have said or if the mother would have said, I don't want anything from anybody. Imagine if she'd been too proud. Don't ever be too proud to receive from somebody that wants to love you, that wants to bless you. Well, he had given them this word and said it won't fail. <clears throat> That's verse 14. That's a promise. That's a prediction. That's a prophecy. And the word of God came to pass just as he spoke it. This is how you know you're dealing with a true man or woman of God. That word will come to pass. Yeah. But plenty, plenty of people who, who want to give you a promise or a prediction about what God's going to do in your life. And I've seen plenty of people backslide because that word didn't come to pass. I've seen people turn away from God, don't want to have anything to do with God. Somebody gave me this word, said this is going <clears throat> to happen. But yet here, a man of God speaks to a widow woman who's broken, ready to die. And she watches every day as the hand of God helps her. So I want you to, to understand that if you're looking for a word, if you're looking for a promise, if you're searching through life for a prophecy, if you're looking for a prediction that gives you some clarity about your future, you say, Pastor, I want a word. Read the Bible. You say, well, I want a word I can hear. I want an oral word, an audible word. Read it aloud. You have exactly what you need. And build your life on the book, because if you fix your focus on the word of God, it'll take your eyes off of death. And I don't think you ought to be staring death in the face unless you're rebuking and telling and it's not going to have you now. But if you're going to allow the circumstances of your life to so envelop you that you end up in a state of depression, it's going to be a problem. Happens to plenty of people. This is this is one of the weaknesses, I think, with some of our grief care groups all across this nation. You know, even God told uh, the children of Israel after Moses died, you got 40 days to mourn, 40 days. And I'm telling they mourned. Aaron died. They mourned. I mean, these were their leaders. They loved them. They were broken. They were saddened by what happened. Forty days they sat there and likely wept, thinking about the memories and the testimonies, the relationship. But on the 41st day, somebody's got to get up and go to work. Somebody's got to get up and move. Somebody's got to be a parent again. 
You can't crawl up in, in a fetal position and just lay there and weep and cry and have the curtains drawn when you think life has now given you a bad kick. You've got to stand up and overcome even when death is staring you in the face. This is where a lot of people fail. Because they keep looking at the barrel and they keep looking at the little cruise of oil and they say, I don't understand how I'm going to make it. But if all you're going to do is stare at your own resources, you'll be depressed. But if you think that God can supply your needs according to his riches and glory, that'll put a smile on your face. Yeah, that, that, that'll make you happy. There have been too many times that all of us have shared testimonies with one another about things that God has done for us. It's not that any of us ever believed we deserved the, the mighty grace of God. And, and we can't ever say that our faith exceeded in abundance the love that he had for us. But yet we still plowed along in faith. Trusting that God would help us. That's what Elijah is doing. And that's what you should do. Don't look at the famine. Look to God. And this is the contrast between Elijah and the woman. During the famine, the woman is dying. She's emaciated, likely. But she certainly comes to a point of death. And I don't know anything about her son. It doesn't say anything about it. But she was thinking about death for herself and for him. And during the exact same time frame, there's a man over at a brook with ravens coming every day to feed him. And God's sustaining him at a brook. God knows exactly where to send you. In order to take you into your blessing. And maybe you're one step away from what God wants to do for the next season of your life. And maybe you're just around the corner from the next person that God wants to bring into your life in order to help you during this season. But are you willing to move to Zarephath? Or are you so married to the brook that's drying up that you just have to stay there? Or are you so married to the ravens that have come to you that you have to stay there? In the end, she obeyed the man of God. And as you can see in verse 15 and 16, she did eat well many days. And that barrel and that cruise of oil never did fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. That's a good story. Because it lets me know no matter what I go through. God has more than enough to supply my need. Yeah. And, and we all can testify to that. I, I certainly can. I, I tell my story often. Came out here 25 years ago with a backpack and a military sea bag. All of my belongings fit in those two bags. Didn't have a church. Didn't have any followers. Didn't have anybody that believed in me at the time. Just had an invitation to go over to Plymouth. Preach the gospel in a little country house out there. And preaching the gospel in that little country house, one couple drove two hours one way every night. It changed their marriage. Changed their kids forever. And because of that journey, I ended up going over towards Red Cloud which is where we started the first church. So folks, I'm telling you, walk with God. Just don't be afraid to change positions. Imagine if I would have made the decision to just stay in Plymouth and never move on to Red Cloud like God wanted me to. 
God probably would have blessed me in Plymouth, but greater blessings were for me in another direction. It was because I was in Plymouth that I started going leading a Bible study in Fairbury in a little corner house right across the street from the park there in Fairbury and taught the Bible there for probably six months to a young man that was a mechanic. It changed his marriage listening to the word of God taught. And when them beautiful little kids came along, they couldn't wait to tell me about each one of those births. But folks, I'm telling you, had I not gone to Plymouth, I'd never made it to Fairbury. Had I not gone to Plymouth, I'd never made it to Red Cloud. Had I not gone to Red Cloud, I'd never made it here. Had I not come here, I'd have never went to Beatrice and pastored that church over there for six months as we were in the process of building here. It's all a matter of not being afraid to follow God. You follow that cloud and you'll find that that rain will fall and that manna will be there. Amen? Amen. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It, it. it will be there and God will sustain you. Come on, let's stand. Now, I'm not a I'm not a guy that's into gimmicks and things like that, but I do think from time to time we forget about how God is able to bless us, supply our needs. If you got your purse or your wallet, I just want us to lift it up to God today. I want to pray. I want to ask God to help us. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give me your wallet or your purse. But, but, but you know, God's means and methods of supply are great and wonderful. And God can bring streams of blessings into your life in a variety of different ways. And you ought not ever forget that. Don't ever limit what God can do in your life to what you possess in here in your purse, or in your pockets. You serve a limitless God. So, Father, what we have, we lift to you and we thank you. It all belongs to you. And, Father, I pray for every family represented in here right now. I'm asking you to bless, preserve, promote, do things for them that they have never conceived that you'd be able to do. And I pray, God, as you open doors and avenues of blessing, that they would be overtaken by them from the front and the back and from the side. Pour out your blessing powerfully, God. For the one that may be struggling with their income, I pray for them that you would supply their needs in ways they could never expect. But then at the same time, we're going to be careful to love you and worship you and praise you forever. In Jesus' mighty name, almighty God, amen, amen, amen.